The gospel reading this morning is from St. Luke, chapter 12, verses 22 through 40. It can be found in the Pew Bible on page 1618. Glory to you, O Lord. Luke 12, 22 through 40. Luke records this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap, and they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink, and do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes, and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. This is the gospel of the Lord. 
praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus, because we know that nothing good comes from any other source. So once again, in the name of Jesus. I've been looking forward to this day for a really long time, and I want to thank you again for giving me this opportunity to be a servant of God and and for all of us the opportunity to see yet another little one come and, and be part of God's holy family and power that was given to us all by what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It's no small thing. It matters. And thank you, Adam and Kara, thank you. And Frank and Sue, thank you. Thank you for this honor. And thank you, girls. You're doing great. Many years ago, I came across a poem. It's more like a parable. Uh, it was written a long time ago, somewhere around 1987. And at 1987, I was just out of college, and the last thing on my mind would be of any kind of matters of the heart like this. The first time I read this poem or parable was, in public anyways, was at uh, the memorial service for our son Graham a little over 10 years ago. And I read it here today, and I'm almost certain, Karen and Adam, you've, you've heard it before. I hope you don't hate it. I think some of you might have heard it, but I want you to listen because it, it applies to all of us. It's called... Welcome to Holland. This woman writes that I am often asked to describe the experience of raising a child with a disability, and I crossed that out, and I said, because Tracy and I have learned these children are differently abled. Differently abled. And she was writing to help people, to help them uh, who have not shared that unique experience, to understand it to imagine how it feels. And she writes, it's kind of like this. When you're going to have a baby, it's like planning a fabulous vacation trip, perhaps to Italy. And you buy a bunch of guidebooks and you make your wonderful plans, the Colosseum, the Michelangelo, the Davide, that's David, but I took Italian once. The gondolas in Venice, you may learn some handy phrases in Italian, and it's all very exciting. And after months of eager anticipation, the day finally arrives, and you pack your bags and off you go. And several hours later, the plane lands, <coughs> excuse me. The stewardess comes in and says, welcome to Holland. Holland, you say? What do you mean Holland? I signed up for Italy. I'm supposed to be in Italy. All my life I've dreamed of going to Italy. 
but there's been a change in the flight plan, and they've, they've landed in Holland, and, and there you must stay. Yeah, baby, I know. It feels like Holland right now, doesn't it? The important thing is that they haven't taken you to some horrible, disgusting, filthy place. They haven't taken to you a place full of pestilence, famine, and disease. It's just a different place. So you must go out and you must buy a new guidebook and, and you must learn a whole new language and you will meet a whole new group of people you would never have met. It's a different place. It's slower paced than Italy. It's less flashy than Italy. But after you've been there for a while and you catch your breath, you look around, and you begin to notice that Holland has windmills, and Holland has tulips, and Holland even has Rembrandts. But everyone you know is busy coming and going from Italy, and they're all bragging about what a wonderful time they had there. And for the rest of your life, you will say, yes, that's, you just got me. That's where I'm supposed to be. That's where I'm supposed to go. And that's what I had planned. And the pain of that will never, ever go away. Because the loss of that dream is a very significant loss. But... If you spend your life mourning the fact that you didn't get to go to Italy, you might never be free to enjoy the very special, the very lovely, the wonderful things about Holland. In our scripture today, Jesus is talking to his disciples and others that would hear. And he says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life and what you will eat or about your body or what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. In other words, Jesus is saying, Hey guys, don't plan your trip to Italy. Don't get the tour guide don't ask other tourists about what you should do and how things are in Italy. Because he's saying, you're not going to Italy. Well, at least yet. It's, it's uh, not, not where you think you're going to go. It's not where you want to go. It's where God has you planned to go. And, and in what he's telling us, and we know the end of the story, that our destination, their destination even better than Italy. He's telling them that you may be going to Holland. He's telling them that at times, and he's telling us that, that, that we know where we find ourselves, it doesn't really even feel as good as Holland. Sometimes it feels like Death Valley or, or Fresno. They're kind of similar. I live there, so I feel free to slam it. 
And so when these kind of things happen to them and these kind of things happen to us, we can't help but say, but Lord, I'm scared. What do I do? And he answers that. He says, consider the ravens. He says, they don't sow or reap. They don't plant, right? They're not farmers. And yet, uh, the Lord takes care of them. And why did he do this? Why did Jesus use this, this simile here? Well, there was a rabbinic way of teaching where they made a point, a small point, in order to boost an even bigger point. So he took a raven, a wild bird, and in Old Testament uh, viewpoint, ravens were dirty birds. They were unclean. And so Jesus is saying, these dirty birds, God is taking care of them. How much more are you of value to God than that dirty, filthy bird? He's got it covered. And so we know that at least the very least that's true is that if he's taking care of filthy birds, then surely he's providing for us a lot better than the birds. The next part of the scripture that we read, it comes to talking about worry. Did you remember that part? Worry, can you, can you add any time to your life by worry? Do you remember hearing that? And then he even says something, he goes, if you can't even take care of that small thing, why do you worry about anything else, right? And I'll just give you a little country language here to explain that one, and it's true. That worry is much like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it certainly doesn't get you anywhere. And yet we worry. Jesus says again, how much more valuable, valuable are you than the birds who by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? And yet we do. Then he says, consider this. Consider the wild flowers, how they grow, that they don't labor, and they don't spin. And he says, yet I tell you that not even Solomon, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And we know that Solomon was the great builder. He was the wisest man to ever live. And when asked by God what he wanted, Solomon didn't answer him or ask him for wealth. He didn't ask him for long life. He didn't even ask him for the destruction of his enemies. Solomon asked for a listening heart. The Hebrew word for that is leishomea. And we know that Solomon was given that heart. We know that that heart was a heart that was in tune with God. And we also know that he was given wisdom and wealth and even dominion over his enemies. The point is, is that God provided these things. It was his good pleasure to provide for his children. It's his good pleasure to provide for you. 
So when we find ourselves in Holland, at least when I found myself in Holland and Tracy herself, I, I, I did pray this prayer to God. Lord, and I thought, I really I have to be honest with you, I thought I was twisting his arm. And I thought, well, you know, it's worked for Solomon, it'll work for me. And it did. I asked him to give me a heart, a heart that could see, a heart that could hear, and a heart that would long after him. And he honored it. And you've heard me say that many times when we pray those exact things. Give me a heart that has eyes attached to it. Give me a heart that has ears attached to it. Give me a heart, Father, that longs after you. Why? Because, as I said earlier in here, nothing good can come from any other source than Jesus. And nothing good can come from any source here on earth. And so, whether I realized it or not, and, and I'm, I'm awfully glad that the Spirit directed me towards that because I didn't get it. I said, oh, I've got to ask for something. And I asked for that, and he gave it. So what does that do? What does that do for somebody that's in Holland? Well, Karen, Adam, this part is for you. There are times when in our walk when we were pretty mad at God. I cursed him. I fired him once. I did. On the way home from the hospital, I fired him. I said, I don't need you. You're not here. You're not in the mix of this. What do you got against this little boy? What do you got against this woman? I can understand what you got against me because I'm a filthy sinner. I understand that. But they didn't do anything. I said, I don't want you anymore. I don't need you. Just get out of my life. A little bit later, and it's amazing, you know, in my office we were sharing how God, these little God coincidences, you know, and he brings people in our lives. And Well, God brought uh, a wonderful man from a doctor at uh, Children's Hospital, Orange County. He called me at 12 o'clock at night, and he called twice, the sec- and he left a, a message the first time. The second time I picked up, and he said who he was, and he said, Ken, I left a voicemail. Actually, I left a prayer on your, on your voicemail. And, and, and I don't want you to think I'm nuts. Here's a man that was in tune with God. Here's a man that that prayer, that, that prayer for a leishomea heart, a heart with ears attached. He heard God. And he said, Can I? God spoke to me. And he said that I needed to call you and I needed to tell you this. That God said to tell you that he's never left you. He's with you always. And I said, oh, sugar. He goes, what? I said, Ray, I, said, I just fired God. He goes, well, he didn't empty his desk, and he's not taking everything out in boxes. He's still there. He's still your Lord. So he gave me that good gift. God's going to give you some good gifts. Kara, some good gifts. Adam, he already has. If you ask him, and you probably already have, but he's going to give you that heart that you didn't believe could grow so big in love and understanding. 
and the ability to see him in the midst of all things. He's going to give you a heart that is soft and loving and vulnerable. And he's going to give that heart to you for you to share, yes, with your children and your family, but for others that have walked or walking this path that you find yourself in. That's, if I can find any purpose in these times of being in Holland, is to help other people that find themselves in Holland as well, to comfort them. It's not a job you would have signed up for, but it is the toughest job that you will ever love. And for Frank and Sue, I got a little something for you too. God gives us eyes to see kind of through his heart and through his eyes. We know that by our own children that we grieve when they grieve and we hurt when they hurt. And, and we even <clears throat> may make a deal, I know I have, take me. Put this on me. And that's exactly what the father did when he sent his son to rescue him. God gives us eyes to see we grieve for our children. How much more does he grieve for us? We'd give anything for our children to rescue them, to save them, to fix them. How much more will he give to us? I'll tell you what he gives to us, and this is what we celebrate today. What he gives to us is, well, firstly, his son, Christ and him crucified, and that's it. We don't add anything to it. We don't take anything more to it. It isn't about being good. It's about him who was good for us. He gives us another gift that we get to participate in today. Beautiful gift. The gift of baptism. And in this water, Paul tells us that surely we died a death like Christ. And then there's that beautiful promise, and that is, Surely we will be resurrected in a resurrection like his. Better than Italy. Better than Italy. We know that. It's the not yet. But we're getting it someday. And that's where we find our hope. Beautiful. We know that in our baptism, combined with the word, the water, the Holy Spirit, and the faith of that little one, that the Holy Spirit comes upon her, came upon all of you. You were made new. You received the Spirit at that moment. That's a gift of a father. That's being clothed in his son, brighter and more beautiful than the lilies in the field or Solomon himself. That assures you of a destination better than anywhere on earth. And yet he doesn't leave us or forsake us like a good father does not. He promises to be with us always. And he promises to meet us even this very day. And we're going to enjoy another sacrament here, the Holy Sacrament of the altar, where Jesus says, come. This is my body given for you. Come. This is the new covenant in my blood shed for you. This is where we come up here and we meet Jesus. And I'm excited 
I'm happy. And I'm grateful. How about you? In the name of Jesus, amen.